Hello guys, welcome back. We're back with another episode of Step Back Sisterhood. I am Amber Vickers. I have Janelle Moore. I have Tara Biggs. And I have Brittany Wilbert. And we're going to talk about our teams today. The Houston Rockets, the Golden State Warriors, Oklahoma City Thunder, and also the Portland Trailblazers. Now I'm going to hand it off to Janelle because her team is first alphabetically. Janelle, give us just a brief summary about how you're feeling. Don't worry, this is a safe space. (laughs) Well, after two games, it is safe to say that the Warriors are trash. But at the same time, it's just two games in the season. But it it is alarming because I thought that the Warriors, judging from the preseason, might be at least competitive. But they are just downright playing like. That, that's that's just that's that's just what it is, and you know the problems are glaring, and it's go deeper beyond not making their shots. I mean, it's a make or miss league, but there's some strategic issues at play, and that's something that Kerr really need to get a handle on. His biggest problem is not adjusting to his personnel. I mean, I get having the motion offense. I mean, it was beautiful, but between the the dynasty years or whatever, and now is that he does not have the personnel to run it. You have to simplify things. You know, what's wrong with going back to elevators for your screens, high screen pick and rolls? That's what they have to adjust to now. And if he is so enamored with that offense to want to acclimate it, he has to do it one step at a time so these new people can pick it up. But he don't want to do it. And another thing that he don't want to do is put Steph on ball. And I don't know if he wants to be on ball or what, but that's what it's going to have to be if they have a chance. He cannot continue to run around 50, 11 screens and expect, uh, the team to succeed. Sometimes you have to put the ball in his hands and, you know, if he's off the ball this much, it'll be easier for defenses to scheme for him. And speaking of Steph, he's going to have to be more aggressive than what he is. I mean, I get trying to get everybody involved, but, you know, you have to look at your personnel. They're not really, you know, focused or, or locked in on the schemes and don't know the schemes. You, he as the Ford general have to simplify. He's going to have to play a traditional point guard role now instead of a glorified spot up kid. Cool. Well, I can go ahead and talk next about the Rockets. It, I guess if you actually asked me around 24 hours ago, right before their game, I probably would have been heated. They Weren't able to play their first game. I guess uh, apologies to Amber because OKC was impacted by that as well. And I I was mad at Harden. I was mad at like, well, not really so much, much mad at the players and getting a haircut and causing them to all be under quarantine until next Thursday um, game. But I was really heated. But last night... 
versus the Trailblazers, they showed a whole lot of heart, including Harden. And I am absolutely excited to see how the full team turns out. Christian Wood looks like a most valuable player candidate at the very least. Harden on, you know, basically post going out in a pandemic partying for his friend uh got a 44 and 17 and you know nearly you know and kept that Rockets team in the game along with Wood and it looks like the rotations are just outstanding um even with just nine guys and most likely it's going to impact their game versus the Nuggets that's happening after this recording so I guess overall, I- I'm still really upset about Harden and the situation. We can talk about it some more a little bit later, but I'm very much intrigued in one game, how well the team played, how Steven Silas uh, schemed for the game, um, not even knowing he, he was going to have available until, you know, more or less 12 to or 12 to 18 hours before the game started. I think that, you know, all things considered and, you know, the hardened situation still up in the air. It's just a very good feeling coming out of the, you know, the very confusing last couple of weeks to see them be so competitive compared to what a lot of um, other national analysts have said about the team. As far as OKC goes, I was able to watch the first half. A little bit of the third quarter and the last minute of the fourth quarter. Looks like from what I've seen thus far, OKC gave up a a lead with about two minutes left. I think they were up like double digits and gave up a lead with about two minutes left. Young team, new coach. They said on Twitter he didn't know how to use his timeouts properly, which I trust Twitter. Because, you know, NBA Twitter's undefeated. I really appreciate the growth of Shea. Uh, Janelle's probably going to write an article on him, guys, for the complex. So go check that out. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> and and he, he proved me right. Yes. I, I love me some Shea. I love his growth. I love his development. Bays, love his growth, love his development. This is year two for Bays. And I loved how Dennis Schroeder and CP3 gave Shay a shout out on Instagram. I saw that when the Thunder reporters uh, tweeted it. And I love to see how a young player like him going from playing for Doc Rivers in the Clippers and coming to OKC and playing under Chris Paul's mentorship has really, really affected his career. And I think it's a beautiful thing for Shay. And the rest of the Thunder players, I will be honest with you, there were a couple of guys they put out there last night, and I was like, who? And I'm still learning the roster, guys. I know this is bad. This sounds all bad. But I'm still learning the roster. But I will get there. I will get there, guys. Just give me give me, give me, me some time. Poku's shot looks flat. He needs some air underneath his shot. Um, He shoots the ball. If Poku touches the ball, he's shooting the ball. I learned that last night because I wasn't able to watch much of him in the preseason. Um, Tay, I learned how to say his name. Tayo Melodone. I learned how to say his name, guys. Thanks. Shout out to the Thunder announcers. 
He looks like a poised point guard. He's a pure point guard, which I knew that because I used to watch him overseas on YouTube. I love what he does and what he brings to the second unit of OKC. And I'm just really eager to see Mark grow. But Shea and Bays are the two guys I'm looking forward to seeing their growth. Giorgio played well yesterday. We'll go more in depth about it, but that's just how I feel. I'm happy OKC got the win. Um, no tanking here, baby. We can still go 72 and 0. I just have to throw that out there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, with regard to the Portland Trailblazers, like you, Britt, 24 hours ago, I was like purely miserable. Um, but I was purely miserable because I had seen the Blazers play some of the most confusing and disorganized basketball that I've seen them play in such a long time. They had four preseason games and three of them were absolutely just a a nightmare. (laughs) I don't know like what was happening. I was sitting there going, who are these, who who is this team? I don't recognize them. Um, And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk in Portland because the Blazers have, um, are switching to a different defensive style and they've been using the same drop coverage for the last seven years and now they're switching it up. So we've all become, um, you know, detectives about, uh, the, the new defensive style and it just was, it was just scary and frightful and completely disorienting to watch them play. And then they they put up a really good fight last night against Houston. It was actually a really fun game. And before that they had played Utah and it was just it was really rough to watch cuz they just were disorganized and it wasn't until the game last night against Houston and granted Houston you all have been going through it in the last few weeks just with the saga of James Harden and then also you have to understand that in Portland uh, James Harden apparently put Portland on his list which never happens nobody ever puts Portland on their list so we were all also um you know uh really thinking like oh my gosh we're going to have CJ McCollum and Harden facing off against each other to uh, you know during this game but anyway, this is all to say that uh, it was a fun game to watch last night. The Blazers looked a lot more like themselves. Damian did not have a first half where he scored no points, which has not happened in ages and ages and ages, but did happen uh, against Utah. So feeling a lot better. I also remembered this morning that I think at the beginning of every season, I say, who are these players? I don't recognize anything that's going on. So it's also, I think a lot of it is just like the beginning of the season always, uh, seems to be rough as people, at least the teams that I watch, uh, fit them, fit the new players and the new pieces together. Yeah. So I guess do we now want to go ahead and talk about each of our teams in more length? Cause I know everyone has some questions about them. So since we are start are continuing the alphabetical order, but in teams order, Janelle, uh, what are your extended thoughts about the Warriors? Well, actually, before I ask that, um, you mentioned that the Warrior, well, Steph Curry has been, um, playing not as well as he should, um, and I mean, he did play pretty good. He got twenty point or twenty and ten um, in the first double, game double versus the yeah. Nets. Yeah, and yeah. then he got uh, what was it, nineteen and six the second game. Um, do you think he has the potential to improve? Because I more than okay. more than enough of potential to improve. And you know, for Steph, with those two games in particular, 
he always struggles on Christmas Day. I kind of saw that bad shoot night coming. And for the opener as well, he does have a lot to improve on. And um it starts with him. I mean, I get he's trying to get everybody involved and that's just his way. But he's just going to have to kind of abandon that and, and abandon, you know, the motion offense and just put that ball in his hand because he is, for better or worse, the, the best player. And, you know, shooting, you know, it's a make or miss league and he, he go through slumps. You know, everybody goes through slumps. And, you know, my issue is just him being aggressive and, you know, not checking out during like the third quarters, you know, like he did during these uh, first two games. And I get it. He's frustrated because whenever he throws the ball and run around all of those screens, he, he doesn't get the ball back. And that's what they do. That's their repetitions. But, you know, he's going to have to abandon that. And like I said, high screen pick and roll to get him going. And Draymond should be coming back you know, for the Chicago game or maybe even as early as Detroit if he's not available for the Bulls game. And that will kind of help him out as well. I have a question about how do you think Wiseman is looking? I think Wiseman is great. And I kind of knew that they were going to put him, you know, they were going to start. Put him right out there. (laughs) Yeah, put him right out there because they don't have a choice. Even with Marquise Chris and Kevon Looney, um, you know, we're kind of thin, thin on height, length, and it was bound to happen. I'm glad it happened sooner than later because you, you have to get acclimated. And remember, Wiseman, I think, only played like three college games. And for him to do that after three college games, that's impressive. And that is a credit to him working out during the pandemic down in Miami. So I'm not really surprised. But with, with Marquise Chris being down now because he, I think he's out for the season because he broke his leg. Yeah, his fibula. Yes, yeah. They're going to ramp up Wiseman's minutes even more because they don't have any choice. Yeah, I think Wiseman's being your most positive player. Now, could you speak on how you feel about Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins? Now, for me, Kelly Oubre does not look comfortable yet and I don't know if it's because of the system that Golden State's running but what what I've seen he does not look comfortable at all and Wiggins is Wiggins like I don't I just <laughs> Wiggins it's, some, Wiggins. it's just something about Andrew Wiggins I want him to be great but he does not want to be great he just does not it's just it's so frustrating to watch it is so frustrating to watch but I think Ubre will get his legs up underneath him I think that Steve Kerr has a different team. He needs to quit being so stubborn, like you said, about the system he ran. Because you don't have a bunch of shooters on the floor. You have Steph. But you can't turn Kelly Oubre into a spot-up shooter. You can't turn Andrew Wiggins into a spot-up shooter. They're not spot-up shooters. They're slashers. They're slashers. So Oubre goes, I I got hope for him. You know, he don't look really comfortable. But like I said, Kerr needs to let these players be who they are and work work with their strengths and maximize their strengths 
whatever their strengths are, instead of forcing the, the motion offense on them. As far as Wiggins, ain't no hope for him. And I and I tweeted, I think, during the opening night that, you know, he does just enough for a sucker to believe in his potential. And that sucker end up getting played. And guess what? The sucker is the Warriors. He ain't got it. And I don't even think Wiggins want it. And that's what I keep harping on. Even though you may have been in a bad situation, like a bad team, you still have to put the work in. You, you still, you still cannot abandon your work ethics as a player because you're on a bad team. That'll drive down your reputation as a player. And that's what happened with Wiggins. You can't put that on Minnesota now. And a, a lot of fans and, and my fan base at first thought, well, the culture will fix him. No, it has to come from within. And and he don't have it. The culture you cannot fix to- everything. This this is the Warriors, not the Golden State in Yamas. They cannot fix everyone. And Wiggins is a clear example of that. You talked about uh, Steve Kerr needing uh, to help players figure out what they're good at, or that's kind yes. of how I interpreted it. It, it. Like, has he done that with his team before or was that, were they kind of like already established in what they were good at by the time he took over? Absolutely not. It was already established. Mark Jackson, for better or worse, developed that team to what it was. And a lot of people forget about the progress and the process of progress of turning a team like the Warriors into contenders. And that's what Mark did. Mark came in and did the work, instilled defensive principles in them, empowered both Steph and Clay as saying that they're the best backcourt shooting, I mean the best backcourt or the best shooting backcourt ever. I'm paraphrasing here. And giving them that confidence and that empowerment to go and do what they do. And they fired him. And here comes Kerr. He had experience in the Suns um, front office as a GM. He was actually an analyst on TNT. And he was a new head coach. A new head coach like MJX was. But, you know, he came in and still the motion offense and, and getting everybody involved. And that's fine. As long as you have the personnel for it. And at that time, he had Andre Iguodala. He had veterans that was smart enough to screen and pass and pick up those principles right away. But now he don't have that anymore. And he's just going to have to adjust. He has to go back to the basics. And if he want to teach that, like I said, a little bit at a time. Until they get it. And some people in my fan base think I'm just criticizing him, just, just the bashing, but I'm not alone. And I think I make perfect sense. You know, you, you, you got to use what you got. And what he has is some two slashers, a, a point guard who is a two-time MVP, you know, and, and he has gone through it before. And even Draymond, a former defensive player of the year, whenever he gets back in a, Intelligent playmaker. That's what he have. 
And if, if he can't utilize what he have and make them at least competitive, he, we're not going to win every game. And I'm not expecting to, but at least try. And if he can't do that, and if he's getting blown out by 40 points, 35 points here, there, they need, make him need to get rid of him. Oh, wow. You think that he should be, um, he's not going to get a long leash, um, Kerr that is because of his championship pedigree at this point. He's been getting a long leash even during the dynasty years. He's been getting a long leash right now. He shouldn't get that long of a leash because, you know, and, and he's running into the same thing like he was last year. There was even some games, even in that horrid year. That he could have won. And that's, that's really crazy to say he could have won some of those games last year, but I don't know. He, he just, he just wouldn't make adjustments. He just force feeding his principles. You, you can't do that. You gotta adapt. Even the players have to adapt. Steph ain't immune either. He gonna have to adapt. I'm not saying just be, be a ball hog and everything, but just be more aggressive out there. Don't second and third guess with your shots and who to pass it to. Don't think so much. Take control. Take the ball in your hands. You know, make the, make the proper passes if it's there. If not, shoot it. And Kerr would just have to deal. Because right now, all motions is is a cheap hair product that I don't even use. <laughs> so that's what it is now. Have you played two? Have they played two games so far? Yes. So, Remember, they I mean, played on I, Christmas and open the night. Right. Okay. Um, so, with given that that we're only two games into the season, I guess what do you see as the um, the best path forward for them? Like, are you looking at it like this is what it's going to be like, or do you think that they're going to make any changes? They're going to have better? to make changes because makeup spending all that money on Ubre. He wants to compete. He wants to maximize whatever prime years he, I mean, whatever prime years that Steph, Draymond, and even Clay, whenever he gets back, has left. You know, he's not going to put up with that. And why would he? I mean, that's, that's a proud man. You know, and going forward, it, I'm expecting changes. I, you know, even though I have criticized Kerr enough, I, I think, you know, he's well aware of, you know, him needing to make changes. Well, at least I hope. And I hope the same for Steph. But, um, for a minute, I'd like to talk about, you know, some of the fans. You know, that's, that's just been acting funny style on social media. I mean, you know, I get it. You know, nobody wants to be a homer. And, you know, sometimes I kind of sound that way, but, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, fold on staff or fold on the Warriors because I know what they're capable of, even in this state. But, you know, there's, there's a, a line between fair criticism and just outright slander for, for whatever. You know, fair criticism is, yes, they've been playing like trash. Steph has been playing soft. Yeah, and, and that's fair. And, that, and you know, you can't deny that. But what's not fair is questioning Steph's whole legacy and just really going on in and on him and saying, you know, how washed he is after a slump. Uh, stars 
go through slumps. It, it happens to the best of them. But that's but that's not just an excuse to presume that he is washed. And especially even in his shooting, I mean, even his bad shooting, I mean, he's still moving well, you know, and he's not really been an athletic freak anyway. And to that, I say, you know, whenever Steph break out of his slump and those who've been saying that he's washed or whatever within the fan base, not all of them, if it's, if it don't fly, I mean, if it's, if you're not um, doing that, it don't pertain to you. If it don't apply, let it fly. But for the ones that are doing this, you know, if he goes off again, I better not never hear them pull steps better out the ass. After the way that they've he've been been dogging, you know, they've been dogging him after two games and after even the games of last season, you know, slumps happen. If he become if he looks like himself again, stay over there with the rest of the haters. The haters are gonna be who they are. Regardless, but you know, go over there. Oh, I feel better. I did say this was a safe space, didn't I? We're here for you. <laughs> We're here for you. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, Janelle, we we appreciate your passionate passionate, thoughtful feelings about Golden State. Now we're going to go to the next team, and this is the Houston Rockets. Brittany, I know you've got a lot to say about the Houston Rockets. So um, whenever you're ready, we're ready. Yeah, so I think it makes sense to sort of talk about the whole week. Last week we sort of had a discussion about what was going on and Harden essentially partying I did some additional, you know, research and things and saw that he was, um, you know, he said that he was at a sit down dinner and he really wasn't. And, you know, luckily because the NBA, I, I guess through some sort of luck, didn't schedule the Rockets during Christmas Day or during opening um, night. Um Harden was able to avoid a major loss in a pet paycheck as a result of some of his actions, which to be honest, I, I think that he should have gotten more of a penalty. But if they're saying that he wasn't around anyone who was COVID positive, he was at a location and he has been testing negative for essentially the full week, then there isn't much that I can do. But it, it made me really infuriated once again that Harden just either doesn't understand or doesn't care about the consequences associated with COVID. Like I know we all know now that he had COVID over the summer and for some reason it was, you know, it was speculated about, but we didn't know about it until recently. But it, it just makes me so frustrated. It's like, Put on a mask and not a Blue Lives Matter mask. If I mean, I, I would say in that aspect, he probably didn't know about it, but definitely not a Blue Lives Matter mask. Just wear a mask when you're going out, and a lot of people would feel a lot more better about you, you know, going around. Even though I don't think he should be going out and partying because that's against um, protocol, and that's why he got in trouble. But anyway, uh, the other thing that happened was that a ton of Rockets players went out for a haircut and now, um, John Wall hasn't played his first game. Boogie Cousins hasn't played his first game. 
Eric Gordon hasn't played his first game and they won't be playing until next Thursday. That was completely separate from the Harden situation. And I feel slightly better about that. Um, surprising to say, I think mostly uh, because the, you know, those are going to be things that can happen with any team trying to get a haircut, especially in areas of the country like Houston that has some of the highest levels of COVID and some of the lowest rules by their associated governors. So I think in some ways having this happen now will allow for the Rockets and other teams to be able to figure out like, hey, we probably should have a barber in, you know, that's available who's tested so that we can have folks go and get their hair cut without having to worry about getting into COVID protocols. So that also made me extremely mad, but I at least understood that this wasn't, I mean, this could have happened to any team. I know some folks were like, Hey, this wouldn't happen elsewhere. No, that really can happen to any team. This is probably going to happen throughout the season as, you know, circumstances happen as folks go and do things that they think are normally fine but really aren't and the NBA is going to have to catch those um you know things and as long as they're not like partying like Harden is then they're you know they're going to have to go under protocol and that's sort of the bottom line so that being said I, I think that my mood has lifted a whole lot more since the game that happened on Saturday versus the Trailblazers, yeah, they lost, but Harden, like a lot of folks were concerned that Harden was going to, you know, dog it and not play well, but he played, you know, he got 44 and 17 and, you know, kept them in the, you know, they were like blowing out Portland for a bit there. They were up by 16 and I knew that wasn't sustainable, but it was just nice to see Steven Silas, who's the new coach of the Rockets, used his entire bench. He used all nine players. He said he wanted to use a 10-player rotation. Him doing that is a million times more, uh, you know, efficient than what D'Antoni ever did during his time in Houston, where he would just have seven-man and sometimes even six-man rotations, which is utterly mind-boggling. So it, it I am very excited to see what happens once the Rockets have their full roster. That won't happen till next one or Thursday, fingers crossed. But I'm excited just to see how well they played considering they didn't even have a full practice since Tuesday. I think they had one like a little bit on Saturday, but not having a practice since Tuesday and still coming, you know, being able to um, almost take a game to double overtime. That was a great, um, you know, sort of thing to see. I was worried. This is my thing. I'm a huge Christian Wood fan. He killed OKC last year uh, when he was playing for Detroit. I'm a huge Christian Christian Wood fan. And my biggest concern would be Christian Wood being the fourth fiddle when John Wall and Boogie Cousins come back. I don't want to see that because last night, clearly, he showed that he can be a number two option clearly next to James Harden. Him and he and James Harden play very well together. What are your thoughts on how Christian Woods' role will change once Boogie and John Wall come back? To be honest, I don't think it's gonna change that much. So 
the, you know, all four of them haven't played at the same time. Uh, John Wall was out the last game of the preseason. And of course he ha- hasn't played since um, cousins. He played the third game. And I think he was also out the fourth game. I didn't watch all of it. Um, sorry to say, but the one thing that I have seen when it comes to John Wall so far in the preseason games, he was able to play is that he is really taking a more traditional point guard role um and that will definitely help with uh Christian Wood be able to take that second um that uh you know that second um player after Harden um point of view i mean the one game that Christian Wood played with Harden he was he also scored i think it was like 27 or something like that like he is Really, like, if he continues this path, he could definitely be a most improved player candidate. Um, as for Cousins, like, Cousins actually isn't going to be starting. He is going to be, um, backing up Wood. Like, he already, uh, that's already been mentioned in the news and everything. So he's not going to be, you know, the one who is taking over for Wood and Wood's not going to be sitting. Like Wood is definitely the number two after, um, you know, after James Harden. And, and I, I know that he, there's probably going to be some, you know, growing pains, especially as um, Wall and um, as DeMarcus Cousins return to the lineup. Um, I think it's probably going to take a little while for all of them to gel, but I'm just really excited to see how Christian Wood grows during this season. And hopefully it will get hardened to an aspect that like he's fine. Like, in fact, we haven't really heard too much about his trade rumors other than the one article that Kelly Eco, um, friend of the show, as people say, um, had about it. But I think that there's as much hope as any that Christian will be, will be able to continue to develop, um, as he has been. I didn't know Boogie wasn't starting. I had Mm-mm. no clue that he wasn't starting. Wow. I didn't know that either. And also I didn't know that people were worried about Harden. I wasn't worried about Harden. I mean, him going out and partying, you know, everybody has their vices and that's his. That, mm. he, that's, um, his, him going out is like spinach to him, like, you know, <laughs> as Popeye. So if that's what he needs to drop 40, 50, well, give him that. That's what I say. Yeah. Well, and the thing is that he partied before, you know, ev- like every year, like there's always been rumors of him going to adult establishments, so to speak. My issue has been and has continued to be like, he shouldn't be partying during a pandemic. Like if he's being safe, he, it's completely fine. He can go ahead and do what he wants, but him not wearing a mask, him like basically walking around that, um, wherever it was a nightclub or adult establishment, whatever strip club that my issue isn't him partying. Cause he's been partying ever since he started in the league and probably earlier than that. My issue is him being unsafe during the pandemic. Yes, um, that is the issue, but you know, I was just, just speaking in gen- general, mm-hmm. not really um, keeping in mind the pandemic. I mean, yeah, he, he is reckless for that, but I was just saying that, you know, there was no need to to worry about him. Even yeah. with the long layoff. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think some folks were just saying like, oh, he's going to dog it so that he forces the trade, but it's like he's going to lower his trade value, and at this point, I think Raphael Stone, the new GM of the Rockets, is not going to fold that easily, especially now that his, um, Harden essentially put his value up again by do, you know, going out and completely balling out, even though he's under this like firestorm of criticism and all this other stuff. So uh, I think that, you know, folks who don't realize that James Harden's a, you know, although he goes out, he's also a gym rat and his game shows how much of a, he, of a gym rat he is. I mean, it, it's a contradiction to a certain extent, but he's been able to do it and he's continuing to do it. Do people in Houston fan base or, you know, like, do they talk about what you, what this seems to display about Harden's leadership? I mean, like, who's who's leading the team when their best player is out doing things that are, like, against the rules? I mean, that was the thing. Is like you weren't – the NBA players, like, are only supposed to go to establishments that have been approved. And he went to an establishment that wasn't approved – I don't think it was approved, but like he seems to be out there like flaunting the rule, not just like maybe breaking them like the was it house who went and picked up the chicken and crossed the line in the middle, <laughs> you know. No, it was um um or Daniel house in the bubble. Um he got kicked right. out. Yeah. And like um but this just seems this this type of thing, just to me, like when you're trying to lead your team to have confidence to, you know, go all the way, that just seems like, I don't know, I, they don't really square in my mind. But like, is that even a concern or something that you have been hearing people address? No, it's been a big talking point when it comes at least to Rockets Twitter. Um, there are a few, you know, hardened stands, but I feel like at least the folks that I follow and the folks who are, you know, genuine fans of the Rockets and of the team, and there's sort of two thoughts. Like Harden is definitely in the wrong when it comes to some of the stuff, but I think a lot of the things that he was doing too, especially when it came to during the camp was him trying to force a trade. And now that he has, I think they either had a sit down or he's just like realizing like, you know, Raphael Stone isn't a, you know, a fool or a punk and he's not going to just trade him for, you know, strap or scraps and trash. I think he's sort of realized that, you know, at least for now, now he needs to play well and not worry so much about if he's going to be traded or not. I I feel like there's a lot of a like there's a you know sort of I don't know how to term it, but basically basically agreement with them like hey at least for now cool it off. And as for what happened last week um, with him, you know, going out and partying, I I just. I don't know. I don't think Harden's ever going to be that like completely mature leadership person. I I think that that sort of that um that horse has left the barn, sort of speak. <laughs> but when it comes to the Rockets in general, I don't think they necessarily need that per se. At least not during the regular season. And it seems as though like. You know, regardless of all the other stuff that's happening, he is, um, his teammates like him. He 
is a very intelligent basketball player. And as long, and I think he probably learned because he, you know, he, I think he probably learned that, Hey, there's so much that he can do. And if he starts going out, he's going to lose game checks at some point. So I think he'll, he got lucky that it was the first week of the season and all the games are spread out for a bit. But um, like I said, I think if he does it again, he's going to be in much more trouble than he was um, this week. I don't, did you listen to Adam Silver's interview yesterday yeah. with Rachel Nichols? I, you know, uh, was not particularly pleased with what, um, Adam Silver said. I mean, I know I get what he said about that, like, you know, $50,000 is the limit of what he, uh, can enforce because of collective bargaining. And he was like, well, it's Christmas and, you know, it's the first offense. And I just, um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if and when other players get in situations like that, um, how they, um, you know, what kind of, um, sanctions will be against them and if they're going to have to miss games because yeah that's i mean can you imagine he can makes half a million dollars a game that was just like that kind of blew my that kind of blew my mind yeah i mean I, and i think the thing too is that adam silver the one thing that you can say i mean he's he's a really good um you know commissioner i think the one thing you can say is that he's pretty consistent about having the same formula when it comes to punishing folks he doesn't necessarily take the last season into account unless it's like a fragrant you know repetition of events so i i think after this, Harden knows that he is definitely under the NBA's radar when it comes to what's going to happen in the future. And if he steps up, I mean, he ultimately can be traded, but he can't be traded if he's having to um, be suspended for, you know, multiple weeks. So I, I think he'll um, avoid some of the stuff, or at least I, I hope so. I, I think I'm, we're at a point where he's going to avoid a lot of it. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's a simple question. Does Harden finish the season with the Rockets? Does he see the light at the end of the tunnel with that organization? Does he trust the future of that organization? I said it was simple, but I gave you like three different questions. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that he's going to stay at least till the trade window and if they're playing the way that they did the first game, and of course, like we have 71 more games, including the makeup game with Oklahoma City that will be scheduled sometime before the second half of the calendar is released for the NBA. Um, I, I think that there's a real chance that he can make it through the season. Like one of the things besides Tillman for Tita, um, and I think that's really the major reason why he wants to leave because he feels like Tillman has leaked a lot of information that he shouldn't have. And there's a, just a lot of like things with them. Cause he said that he genuinely likes, um, Silas. He likes his teammates. Um, but I think his concern was going into the season that the Rockets were going to blow things up. But Raphael Stone has honestly, added really good pieces that work with Harden and for the first time has like shooters and things that aren't just uh and playmakers who can actually handle the ball including a center who can handle the ball so I, I think that as he like if the Rockets continue to show forward progress and not show that they're going to tank which I don't think was going to happen either way um Harden ultimately wants to go to a team that is successful so 
I mean, we'll see. Like he may, I told, I, I'm in a group chat for, uh, or for my, um, for the other place I contribute, um, clutch the control room. And I put a joke saying that watch as tomorrow, or watch as on Monday, he puts another list of trade locations and adds to his ever expanding list, list of places he wants to go to. So uh, I, I can only see as far as the trade window and I think he'll be here at least for that. Cool. So I think with that, we're done with talking about the Rockets. Um, now, if I can um, say things alphabetically, I'm pretty sure now it's Amber's turn with the Oklahoma City Thunder. All right. Oklahoma City Thunder uh, fans, you're in luck. We can still go 72 and 0. Um, we're not going to tank. I don't, I don't think OKC is going to tank. I just don't see it. I don't see it. And I know Jeff Van Gundy kept saying on the broadcast, and it was ticking me off to the umpteenth power, OKC is the only team in the West that's not trying to make the playoffs. Everybody else is trying to make the playoffs or at least the play-in game. And I kept hearing that, and that's why I put the announcers on mute a lot of times. I kept hearing that, and it was ticking me off so bad. My mom was like, what does that mean? I said, well, you know, Sacramento wants to make the playoffs. They're 2-0 now. Uh, Phoenix, of course, all those teams that you're used to seeing at the bottom of the West have shown that they want to make the playoffs. So why can't OKC show that they want to make the playoffs, Jeff Van Gundy? You think they're just out there playing games, not trying to make the playoffs? That's what kind of ticks me off about announcers, but that's just my opinion on it. Whatever. I really like the heart that that young team showed yesterday. Uh, I really want to see them play against the Rockets. I was looking forward to that game, Britt. I was like, yes, you know, we get that rematch, you know, that game seven rematch in the first round in the bubble. And I really wanted to see it. I know Lou Dort wouldn't go for 30 again, but, <laughs> you know, who knows? I just want to see that young team against that new Rockets team. But we'll get that makeup game, uh, hopefully. And they played against the Hornets team, another young team. Uh, LaMelo Ball, number three overall pick for the Hornets. And Devontae Graham, who should have been in the top three of most improved player. Scary Terry has been crazy hot here beginning of the season. I'm like, okay, 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 see. And I was really impressed with the way in the first half, because I was in and out of the second half. I was really impressed with the way OKC played. They got down. 10 and they clawed their way back in halftime. I think they went on a 12 to three run to end the half or something like that. I think the Taro Jigga and one, I believe and they went on a 12 to three run uh, to end that first half. And I was very impressed with that, how they came and they clawed back. And then I didn't get to watch the beginning of the third quarter. I kind of followed it on Twitter, but then I watched the middle of the third quarter. They were down again and they just kind of kept coming back, kept, kept coming back. And from what I saw on Twitter in the fourth quarter, they had a lead. Two minutes left. This is a young team. You don't have Chris Paul anymore. You don't have Dennis Schroeder anymore. So Mark doesn't know his closing lineup yet. Mark is not sure who his closing lineup is going to be yet and how to properly use his timeouts. So last year, if OKC had a lead in the late in the fourth quarter, two minutes left, they're not giving that up. This year, it's a new team, new leadership. Uh, Shea's going to have to take their role. Stephen Adams is not there. Shooter's not there. Gallo's not there. CP3 is not there. Ferguson's not there. There are a lot of people that are, there are a lot of guys that aren't there anymore. And Shea hit a game winning shot and I loved it. 
Oh, I loved it. I rewatched it on Twitter like 20 times. I retweeted. I loved it. I love seeing players, young players, really grasp that leadership role. And he will have to do it because he's going to, as okay, he go, okay, C goes as he goes. If Shay is doing his thing and leading this team properly, OKC will play well. If Shea is not doing his thing, OKC will struggle. You do have a couple of veterans on the squad with more than a couple of you got Mike Muscala, who's getting more minutes. You got Al Horford and George Hill, who did his thing yesterday. I saw a tweet today. The Clippers were getting blown out by 50 and somebody said the Clippers need to trade for George Hill. No, we want to keep George Hill. I've said that um, before the season started when we got him. I like George Hill. He led, I think he led the NBA last year in three point percentage, but I'm not sure, but I know he was in the top three. George Hill brings that calming presence in that starting lineup. Real calm, a vet, knows his role, knock down shots, can play defense. Very experienced. I like George Hill next to Shea. So what it seems like what Sam Presti has done in each, in each trades he's made, he's put Shea next to a veteran that has experience last year. He got Schroeder and Gallo, and then you have Stephen Adams still there, and then he has CP3. This year, he has George Hill and Al Horford. I think that is great for young players because Al Horford, even though he didn't play the best in Philly last year because I just thought that was just a horrible fit for Philly, honestly, but he played very well when he was in Atlanta. He was an all-star in Atlanta, played very well in Boston. I think he was an all-star in Boston. You cannot take away from the type of player he is just because he had one bad season and he shouldn't have been traded to Philly in the first place, in my opinion. And then you get George Hill. George Hill's been around the league. He's a journeyman. But Greg Popovich said George Hill was his is his favorite player. And George Hill is Kawhi Leonard. Briefly explained. George Hill was with the Indiana Pacers. The Spurs made that trade to get Kawhi Leonard at that pick, and they sent George Hill to the Indiana Pacers. That's why I say George Hill equals Kawhi Leonard. Just so you guys, who you guys don't know. Yeah, so you got, thank you for explaining it. Cause that was a little bit of a shock. To hear that. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> well, I was confused Star about <laughs> It's okay. I got you. I got you. For everybody that's confused in the audience, I got you. So you got two veteran players. You got Shay. You got your two bays. This is year two bays. And then you have Poku. You drafted Poku. Teo Melodon. Yes, I know how to say his name now. Teo Melodon, steady point guard with the second unit. I like what he brings to the table. Poku, we're going to have to see. Muscala's getting more minutes. He can, more minutes. He can stretch the floor. He can shoot it. Lou Dort does his job. He's a slasher, not necessarily a shooter, even though he has worked on his jump shot in the brief offseason that OKC had, uh, due to the pandemic. And he slashed and got to the hole. Hami Diallo is Hami. I have some days where I'm like, homie. And then I have some days I'm like, homie. And I get really excited when I watch him play. And then I, he has a moment, but that's homie. That's, that's who homie is. I've accepted who homie is and I'm just rolling with it. So I really like this team. I don't think they're going to tank. Like I said, we're still on the bargain for 72 and oh, you know, we're one and oh, we are undefeated. 
OKC is undefeated. No matter how you slice it, OKC is undefeated. And I love that Shea hit the game winner, and I love that they were able to close that game yesterday. Obviously, they gave people on Twitter a heart attack, OKC fans a heart attack, because they gave up the big lead. But that's young, experienced coaching, and that's also young players trying to gel together with a short off season as well. Did you say they're undefeated? Yes, they are. I well, love say it. that a few more times. We undefeated. We undefeated. We undefeated. Yeah, you know, I had to. I got to be happy. You know, I'm happy. Blazers aren't undefeated, so yeah. <laughs> Sing it out loud. Uh, my question for you about OKC is they they lot they uh, a lot of really important uh, longtime players um, have gone from OKC. You know, Stephen Adams being one of them, or you know, Schroeder. Like you've, there's been some people who had significant roles who are now gone. Whose absence are in you know in this first game, or including also preseason? Whose absence do you feel the most, and uh, do you see anybody stepping into those roles, or are you do you thinking the whole team is just going to shift so much um, that you know, some of those irreplaceable players are just not going to be replaceable. I, you missed the closing lineup. So the closing lineup last year was Gallinari, who's now in Atlanta, Chris Paul, who's now in Phoenix, SGA, still there, Dennis Schroeder, who's, who's scoring a lot of points for the Lakers right now, and then Steven Adams, who's now with the Pelicans. I missed the closing lineup. That closing lineup, I think we had the third best or second best. I know we had the best fourth quarter lineup in the league last year. OKC did. They're probably top three closing lineup in the NBA last year, if I'm not mistaken. And that's hard to replace. Out of that whole closing lineup, the only person there is Shea. (laughs) Like, he's the Lone Ranger. So who's the closing lineup? That's the problem they probably had yesterday is that they didn't have a closing lineup. And that's huge in the NBA. You got to be able to close games in the NBA or you won't win a lot of games. The Dallas Mavericks can score a lot of points. They can't really play defense. But if they were able to close all those games last year, they'd probably be a top four seed because of the way they can score. So closing is very, very important in the NBA. But I miss that closing lineup. If you ask me what I miss the most, it's that closing lineup. I miss Steven Adams the most because he was the longest tenure uh, Thunder player. And you knew the writing was on the wall after this year, probably. I kind of felt it because there were rumors about Pat Riley trying to get him in Miami with Bam. And I was like, oh, no. Him and Gallo, he and Gallo packaged to Miami. Um, But I don't know what OKC would have gotten in return. But there were rumors about him going to Miami. And I was like, oh, no, not Steven Adams, not the big guy. And that's the that's the guy that I am going to miss the most. I miss Russell. I miss KD. I miss Harden. Uh, I miss Ibaka, but the guy I miss the most is Steven Adams because nobody knew who he was when he got drafted. People was like, who is this guy? And he turned out to be a very good player, very steady player. And I miss him the most. Yeah. I think I would be the same way. Yeah. I, I really, I miss his personality and everything on Twitter. I miss Steven Adams the most. <laughs> Sheds one tear. <laughs> Are you still following Adams on Twitter? Um, I think I am. I'm watch. I watch the Pelicans because he plays. You know, I'm like, oh, I gotta watch the Pelicans play. But yes, I get to watch Steven Adams play. So I watch him play. I'll follow him. Like I follow Russ. I follow KD. 
even James Harden. I I, I watch James Harden. I watch Rockets games because of James Harden. I watch Surge. I support that young OKC team that took us to the finals. I support that team because when you're a smart market, it's just hard to keep those type of players. We just didn't have the money. OKC just didn't have the money to keep everybody. And it's, it's disheartening and it hurts. But the one thing you cannot take away from Oklahoma City is that we were Western Conference champs and we did take Miami to five games. I can say that much. But it hurts. It still hurts a little bit. Yeah. And I guess the other thing, too, is that you mentioned that um, Mark, and I can't remember how to pronounce his last name again, but um, Coach Mark had um, some issues when it came to his timeout calling. And I know that you weren't able to watch the entire game, but what were some positives that you saw from him um, during the parts of the game you were able to watch? His, his substitution pattern wasn't bad. I want to see him get Bays more involved. I do want to see that. But his substitution pattern wasn't bad. And no matter how you slice it, even though OKC gave up a big, a big lead, he would still get able to get Shea in an ISO to close the game out. So that's a positive. A win is a positive. There, You can talk about a lot of things probably that he did wrong. But the one positive you can say is they have a W in the win column. And for me, that's the biggest positive you can have. Any more questions, ladies? Tell us again what their record is. What to know? We undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just, it's hard when we've only seen them one time. So I'm I I do I am interested in what's going to go uh, happen with them throughout the season. So I, I can't wait to see they get a few more uh, games under them. Yeah, we do play Utah tomorrow. So Utah's been up and down. They. Blew out the Blazers and then lost to who'd they lose to the other day? Um, Sacramento was Sacramento. Yeah, like uh, on that tip at the last on the minute. Tip. Oh, but, yeah, Buddy yeah, Hill, shout out to University of Oklahoma, shout out to Buddy Hill. They did <laughs> lose to that tip <laughs> against Sacramento. Okay, yeah. So Utah's gonna be fun. We're gonna see the two hundred five million dollar man in Rudy Gobert, and that should be very uh, interesting to say the least. When they play again? Tomorrow, or Monday. 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 Or, Monday. or Monday. Well, yeah, what, tomorrow. Monday. What I'd like to see if uh, OKC would do what Minnesota usually does with Gobert, kind of, you know, draw him out of the paint and let, you know, the, the shooters and slashers just operate. That, they will because Al Horford's the five. So, right. yeah, Al Horford, yeah, that, he's going to, he can't camp out in the paint against Al Horford. He's going to have to come out. So that should be barbecue chicken. That should be barbecue chicken. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't wait. I did to them uh, last night. Yeah. Cat is good at doing that. And I'm sure Horford can do the same. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cat did hurt his wrist, so I hope he's okay. Especially with everything he's going through. Goodness grief. You know, so hopefully Mark does that. I, I want to see if they do that. Hopefully I'll be able to watch the game. Somebody said they'll send me a link um, to the game, so hopefully I'll be able to watch it, but if Al Horford can really be a difference for OKC, cause he plays pretty good perimeter, I mean, um, perimeter defense and interior defense. So that's something that OKC is needing because Steven Adams is not there anymore. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. 
Are we ready to move on to Portland? Tara, you ready to talk about, (laughs) (laughs) you ready to talk about. Okay. I feel like I've been really harsh on, uh, Portland and, uh, that's mostly due to my own expectations. Uh, so here's what happened in the off season. Portland brought in a couple of well-known defenders, right? Um, Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. Even though he didn't play that much, um, in Miami, he was somebody who, you know, is known as a, as a defensive player. Um, at least more so than most of the people in Portland. <laughs> Portland has, as uh, probably you all know, not been known as a good defensive team for quite a while, but they always have had such a potent offense that they just kind of like even at the beginning of this season, they were like, "We just want to be average. If we can just be average, we ha- we feel like we have enough offense that um that the team will do well." So what I thought I was going to see when I started watching the Blazers play was this wonderfully improved defense because they brought in these players and they've played the same defense, like I was saying, for years and years with drop coverage. And um, Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless probably did it best, and Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. to me looked like you know just like. Um, younger and, uh, maybe better versions of, of those two. Um, but the Blazers completely changed their defensive plan of attack. Um, which, like, I've spent more time, like, there's this one, um, podcaster, uh, Mike Richmond for Locked On Blazers, who had a really, really good explanation of the change in the defense. And I think I've listened to it five times, trying to, like, just understand what he's talking about. Um, but what it is basically is that, you know, the centers used to drop and now they're supposed to be coming up, um, to the screen. So when the Blazers started to play right away, it looked like Nurkish didn't know what he was doing. And it was like shocking because we were so excited when Nurkic came back in the bubble and he just was like right, you know, it was like he hadn't even missed any time. He just picked up and just did such a great job, you know, uh, protecting the rim. Uh, but this new defense is new and like, it really looked new. <laughs> and so, and because, you know, so much of it has to do with the center, it ended up looking like Nurkic and Ennis Cantor were just really struggling. And in addition to that, there were also just general lapses, which happens when you work in new players where like cutters were just blowing by everybody. And as usual, it was right back to feeling like just a, you know, three point shooting contest um from the other team. And that was like, super rough and it wasn't until last night that they finally started to look a little more comfortable with it and like I, I halfway through last night's game the commentators were still talking about this new defense this new defense new new defense and I was like I'm done trying to figure out what the new defense is supposed to be like like I feel like I've gotten so focused on the brush strokes I've lost complete sight of the painting and so last night I was like I am no longer <laughs> paying attention to the defense because it is um taking away from like the whole picture so there's all of that and then the other thing that I was like I was saying is that the rumor mill has heated up about uh, you know James Harden putting Portland on the list um which of course brings up CJ because CJ is the person next to Damian Lillard who has the highest salary so it would be help you know the closest in getting the Blazers to being able to make a deal 
And so, you know, people are going on and on and on about that. I knew CJ was going to have a great game last night because of that. CJ is somebody who like really rises to the occasion when he hears, you know, himself in discussions like that. So James Harden had uh 44 points and 17 assists and CJ McCollum did have 44 points and he also had either eight or nine assists, which is a lot for him. The yeah, Blazers last eight. night. Yeah, the Blazers last night had more assists than they usually do. Granted, they had an overtime, but like they've been like the bottom of the barrel uh in terms of like the number of assists per game. So it was kind of pleasant to see that they were uh keeping up um in that department. And then the other big sort of overarching theme that I've seen so far is that um I love offense and I love dunks. And it seems like every time somebody comes to the team who's a dunker, they immediately become better three-point shooter and stop dunking. And I am so worried that that's what's going to happen to Derek Jones Jr. And I know three points is worth more than two, but there's something about the energy and the excitement of a dunk that I just, uh, that I just love. And so Derek Jones Jr. comes out and he starts hitting threes, which is a good thing. Like, I'm not saying I want Derek, don't want Derek Jr. Jones Jr. hitting three. Like, we want that. But like, the Blazers for the life of them could not throw him a decent lob. They tried three lobs in one game that were so errant that like weren't even close to anybody being able to get him. So, uh, last night, the, when Britt, when, um, Derek Jones Jr. caught that lob and slammed it in, that was like the, biggest relief that I've felt in a really <laughs> long time. I was like, oh God, they're not going to like take away Derek Jones Jr.'s dunking. He's going to be able to get it back. I was so afraid that he was going to lose that. Um, and the other kind of just overarching thing too is that is mellow on the bench. Um, you know, hasn't been pretty. He had one game where he was great off the bench and then he's been struggling. And the problem is, I think, like when he has it, when he does a catch and shoot three, he's money. Like when he's running and he has to stop and catch that ball and shoot it, boom. Like it is, you know, like more than likely going in, but they keep giving it to him on the block and he keeps like pound, 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 back him up, back him up, back him up, you know, two pointer miss. And I feel like they have not hit their stride in the terms of the best way to use them. He, of course, hasn't complained at all, uh, which is good. But I, the, the bench unit, which on paper looked like it should be really good, has not looked as good, at least in the two games that they've played as, um, as we had hoped. And I think part of it is because of the new defensive scheme and part of it is just, um, Mello not being used to it. Yeah, so I guess the one thing I would have to say when it comes to their defense is that they really didn't get much time to develop that. And I think it takes time to sort of get a defense rolling. Like, I think at this point we can say they probably won't be a top 10 <laughs> defense by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I, I wouldn't even necessarily say average unless you wanted to say like 16th or 17th, but they have room to improve. <laughs> and the way that they were able to win was Covington coming in and getting the ball that Harden, you know, through was trying to throw over the PJ. So that, that's pretty, you know, nice for them to do that. Well, and I, I really have liked what Covington and Jones have been able to do in the lane. It's just that that's not the featured part of the defense right now. Um, mm. and like, yeah, Covington being able to get in there and disrupt, that has been great. And that's what I thought was going to 
put the blazers over the top, but the way that they're changing things around in the center is just weird and I'm, I give up. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, it's just going to take a little bit of time for them to gel. So I wouldn't be worried so much about it. I, I, I think that defensive coverages are complex in the first place, but when it comes to, you know, Portland, they'll definitely improve in some aspects. I, I still think they'll probably be sort of spotty because they don't have, um, CJ and Dame are definitely at a point in their careers that their defensive abilities will probably won't um, improve dramatically, but I, I think that they'll understand the coverage is a lot better and be able to adapt to that. Yeah. And it was, it was really like in game one, Damien deferred a whole lot. And I think that, um, in game two, he didn't defer for so long, which I thought was a better choice. <laughs> Here's what I'm wondering. Was Dame trying to defer during the first game? Was he trying to go off the ball a bit or trying to get everybody involved? You know, he has said that, you know, he, he would rather prefer to play on ball. Yeah. I mean, that's been a pattern for Damien for a long time where he does traditionally spend the first half trying to get other players involved, seeing who's hot. And often it's CJ. Um, but also just kind of feeling out like, oh, giving Nurkic, you know, touches, uh, giving, you know, whoever else needs it. That's, that's pretty usual for Dame, but um, he like didn't even score any points in the first half of game one, which was really surprising. Out of rhythm? Mostly out of just like um, giving, a, you know, spending so much time trying to get everybody else. And like he didn't take a lot of shots and he also didn't make any of his shots. Um, but he just wasn't as aggressive because you can tell when Dame decides that he's going to be aggressive. And he decided that much earlier in the game last night. How do you feel about facing the Lakers on Monday? I, same way as I feel about facing anybody, really. I mean, I know, I know the Lakers are really good and what I've seen of them and like the Blazers just saw them in the bubble and in the playoffs. Um, but I don't really – I don't, at this point, having not seen like sustained success from this particular team, I think the Lakers are just going to be like any other team that they would take. I, I, I'm more focused on what are the Blazers going to do to look better than what their opponent is going to do to, you know, try to shut them down, if that makes sense. Okay. With that being said, let me think how I'm going to ask this. Do, the Blazers, do you think the Blazers have an identity problem? No. Um, okay. That's a good question, though. I mean, I don't think they have had enough time together in this particular iteration to have an identity problem. I think if, you know, 15 games into the season they still don't know what they're doing, then yeah. Um, but I don't think they do yet. Because they're always, always going to be Damon CJ. Um, they're always going to be the identity. Um, but yeah, we'll see what, we'll, we'll see what it looks like 15 games in. I asked that question because of the, you talked about the defense and I was watching the game against, I watched a little bit of the game against Utah and Dame, I've never seen Dame struggle so bad. And then I watched the game against Houston and he came out just guns a blazing being, being Dame. So that's why I asked that question because Portland can't afford for Dame to have a game like he had against Utah. 
And they also can't afford to have a defensive game against five guys that are undrafted against Houston in the West every single night. So eventually that's all going to have to come together. I have Portland top four in the West, I think number four seed in the West. So I wanted to come together, but the defense, you didn't have an off season. So that kind of messes with who you want to be because you do have new players. So you do have to figure out how this guy plays. You know, you added some vets. Um, looks like Anthony Simons is going to get a little bit, some more minutes. And I love Anthony mm-hmm. Simons. I really do. Um, so you're going to have to kind of figure out how to blend these new players in with the players that are still there. Honestly, the biggest problem that I saw was Cantor and Mello in together. Um, the thing about Cantor is that like he gets if nothing else is going right, he'll come up with an offensive rebound and a putback. So you can't take him out because there's nobody else who's as good as doing that. But he also you give up um you give up stuff on the defensive end as well as giving up some with mellow at the same time. So there's got to be three really, really, really strong defenders in if those two are going to be playing a lot of minutes together. Or they just have to figure out a better, maybe like simplify it a little bit, maybe go back to what they're more used to. Um, but I guess the one thing that is kind of new and exciting is that if the Blazers do get better at this new type of defense, it will be a second option, which they haven't, really had. They pretty much have played very similar against every team. And for them to be like on purpose working on a new scheme is exciting because then they will have options. They just have to get better at it. Cool. Well, I think with that, we actually are running sort of long, but I really want to talk about some of the other stories that are happening in the league real quick it looks like the nets are going to be either really good or because they played um no offense janelle the jv golden state warriors and a you know a dallas team which i guess are i can't remember who or who was this oh boston a boston team that's having its own set of identity crisis and they actually you know that was a pretty competitive game um, all things considered, but it, it really looks as though KD is back in to form and um Kyrie is playing well. Um do you guys have any thoughts about any other of the teams? I don't know why people thought that KD would struggle coming back from Achilles injury because first of all, KD's game wasn't really predicated on a lot of athleticism anyway. He is skilled. His, that jumper won't go away. You know what I'm saying? His his movements, you know, won't go away much. And I guess the concern should have been on the defensive end, but what he proved against Boston, that's not even a concern. And the way that he rehabbed, I think that was prudent. You know, um, just taking this time, you know, making sure everything is healed and, and rehabbing at his own pace. And that's what really has helped him. And that really gives me hope for uh, Clay's recovery. Yeah, I think the one thing that we're learning, or at least this season so far, and of course things can change because we're literally just in the third game for most teams, is that 
players need more than nine months to recover from an Achilles injury. And I think that's what hurt a ton of players, but we're seeing like with John Wall so far, at least in the preseason with cousins and now with KD that if they have the full amount of time that's recommended for um, Achilles injury to be improved, which is 12 months. And some of them got like 20 plus months, but if they have at least a full year to recover, then they can come back and be, you know, just as good of a player as anything. And I think that's what will have to be the strategy moving forward when it comes to Achilles injuries. I mean, the technology is advanced, but if you're not rehabbing and you're not taking that time to actually um, improve your improve the muscle and everything surrounding it to take care of it, then you're not, you're going to be in trouble moving forward. I think it'll be interesting to see how uh, I, I, uh, a player like uh, Rodney Hood, who's not exactly at the elite level as some of the players that you just mentioned, um, but he also had a full year uh, to recover from his Achilles. And so sometimes I wonder, like, obviously it's Kevin Durant and he's incredible. And like, you know, to Janelle's point, like, you know, his his game isn't predicated on athleticism and like he's always been so good. So it's like pretty natural for us to expect that he would come back and be good. Um, but he's like, you know, on a whole higher level plane of basketball existence than a really good, obviously, NBA player like Rodney Hood. But seeing how if he's able to come back um, after having had that full um, year and reach his peak level of athleticism, um, I think it'll be something interesting to watch. Yeah, and Hood had a pretty good game against the Rockets on Saturday. So I think that's, there's definitely a chance. And I think, I hope that it, that's the model moving forward. If it looks like it's successful for so many players this season. The only thing that I would add about what I've seen league wide, and this is just a little thing, but it drove me absolutely nuts on Christmas. Everybody was wearing the wrong color jerseys. <laughs> that's why like the, um, somebody was wearing green when they're usually blue somebody was wearing blue when they're usually green um utah or denver looked like utah and i just i was so confused all day long trying to figure out what and so i am not a fan of all of the alternate color uniforms that put they had like i think dallas was wearing green yeah dallas was wearing green well green's like their secondary color though and what their colors were in the 90s if um i don't I, know if that's, that's my the, brain yeah. can't keep up Start with that <laughs> yeah thing jerseys that they wore today mm-hmm. well and then and um and uh the bucks wore blue uh, now that one was off. That was weird. And, and yeah, I just, it's, it's too much for my old brain. So please everybody just wear a, the color that you wear. <laughs> well, you know, the Lakers are coming out with their quote unquote classic uniforms and those are blue. So mm-hmm. that should be a, interesting. They wear the white ones. No, the they have another one that's coming out that's different than the Christmas ones. That's like classic and it, it's a, like the a Minnesota blue, like, yeah, like the Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. That's what, what's, that's what they wore when they were in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, pow- it's not like completely powder blue, but it's like a, it's that same sort of range of color. Yellow numbers? No, white numbers. The Mitchell and S. The Mitchell, Mitchell and S. Jerseys, that's what they are. I used to have one in high school. <laughs> I used to have one in high school. My thoughts about the league, um, Sacramento's 2-0. and 
Uh, Utah pay Rudy Gobert $205 million. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. Um, LeVar Ball has been very quiet about LaMelo. LaMelo got aggressive um, in a game against OKC. Let me think. Brooklyn is going to be Brooklyn. I picked them to go to the finals. That won't change. I'm happy that Doc Rivers has figured out a way to play Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid together. I love it. It just shows that he's a pretty good coach. You know, he might have his ups and downs in the playoffs, but he's still a pretty good coach. Mm -hmm. Let me think. Um, The Spurs have been playing well. My Spurs have been playing well. So there are some things around the league that I'm happy I'm happy with the way the league has has brought his itself back. I didn't particularly care for the Christmas games too much. A lot of people were like, oh, these Christmas games are boring. Like people didn't like the Christmas games this year. And I personally didn't like the matchups that they had on Christmas, but I, I see why they did it, but I just didn't like some of the matchups. I want to see Phoenix play on Christmas. I want to see Memphis play on Christmas. I want to see Atlanta play on Christmas. Atlanta looks good. Um, I want to see some young guns on Christmas. I know you get the old heads. You got to play the old heads. I get it. But I want to see some of that young talent, the John Morantz, the Trey Youngs. Like, I want to see that. Maybe next year we'll get it. Who knows? But people didn't like, on my timeline, people didn't like the Christmas Day lineups. They said it was boring on my timeline. I watched all five games. So Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that folks aren't realizing is that they only got three to four preseason games and yeah. that's, and there wasn't like this um runway between the time that we usually have, which is, you know, late October, no- early November start of the season. And then by the time Christmas comes, you know, everyone looks, you know, reasonable. Like we didn't get that this year and they, you know, they were basically playing their first or second game of the season and, uh, and we're watching that and, you know, that's how the first games of the season usually look like unless they're super competitive. Yeah. I just want to see some young, like the young guns get a, a chance on national television. You know what I mean? Like I can't wait next year. I'm pretty sure John Moran and Trey Young will be on one of those two teams will be on for Christmas next year. I'm hoping I really do because John's been putting on a show and Trey's been putting on the show. So. Yeah. No, I definitely hope that they do that as well because quite frankly, I'm sort of over the NBA selecting a certain number of teams and not having a wide variety of national TV games. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. As far as the Christmas games goes, yeah, yeah, they, they were boring and you know, yeah, yeah, they were boring and I, I could have spent my time working on an, another article, which I have something coming out tomorrow for the Shadow League. With that being said, I'm more impressed with how the young guns are playing. Yeah, the John Morants and the Trey Youngs. I mean, them taking a step was to be expected. And I believe that the league is in great hands. And what was really fascinating was the overreactions of Lamelo Ball. You know, he he didn't score in his first game ever, and you know, after judging what I've seen of him in the preseason, I mean, he was his court vision was just awesome. You know, and I think the Hornets are great for developing him slowly and uh, him being behind either um, Devontae Graham or. 
um, Terry Rozier. And as far as the landscape of the league, I mean, of course, Brooklyn is going to be Brooklyn, but, you know, I'm fascinated with how the East is. It, uh, for a number of years, they have been the weakest conference. And, you know, right now we have Brooklyn. Philly is, is good. You know, Toronto will get it together. I mean, they're in the 0 and 2 start, but Nick Nurse is going to have them competitive. Indiana is uh, shocking some people. You know, it's to the point where this new coach, I can't really think of his name right now. And Nick Nurse has the same playbook. I mean, of course, they, you know, this guy has been under Nurse, but it's just good to, for him to instill that type of vibe in Indian, Indiana. Um, and I'm really intrigued to see what the Hawks will do. You know, there are playoff expectations with them. I have them at least going to the six seed, but they make it go more. You know, they, they have been looking solid these past two games. And I'm really intrigued to see the dynamic between Trey and Rondo as far as leadership goes and, and all of that. But as far as the West, the West is the West. You know, um, the Lakers, are, of course, are the clear-cut favorites. And even though the Clippers got routed, I'm I'm sure they'll, they'll get it together. They're going to have to. But I'm intrigued about the the other teams. I mean, There, there could be a dog, there's a dog fight there, of course. So, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. It's only the first two games of the season. So we'll, we'll know a lot more about these teams with, after they play 10 to 15 games versus the first two. Exactly. Exactly. When the first 10 or 15 games, it, it takes a team that long to develop an identity anyway. And with that being said, I mean, some develop an identity quicker than others. And I think that's what we're kind of seeing now. I think that teams probably, yeah, I'll wrap it up, Brittany. I'm going to say this one thing. I think teams probably feel rushed because there's 10, 10 less games. But the NBA did add the playing the playing game, and I like that. I like the play in. You give them ten less, but you give them an opportunity. If they have that eight or nine or ten seed, and they're separated by those games, to get opportunity to play themselves in. I think that's beautiful. I, I really do. I think that was a beautiful move by the NBA Players Association. Everybody coming together and saying, "Okay, there were so many teams. There are so many teams that are always so close. Let's see which team really wants it." Phoenix really wanted it in that bubble. They really wanted it in that bubble. They just couldn't quite get it, you know? So, and the Blazers wanted it and they got it. So I really want to see that. I'm interested to see that, ladies. I really am. What, with Phoenix? With the teams that are going to be at the bottom, like the 9, 10, the 8, 9, yeah, the playing games. I'm really intrigued by that. I want to see that competitive nature come out because those players were competitive in the bubble, man. They were fighting. And they were scrapping in the bubble. And I loved watching it as much as I was opposed to them having a bubble. But that's neither here nor there. It happened. So I like that competitive fire. I love when that competitive fire comes out of players. I really do. All right, guys, that is it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed our rants about our teams. Um, some good, some bad. 
but we still have 70 to what 71 to 70 games left for some teams. Um, be sure to check us out next Sunday. We don't know what the topic's going to be, but it's going to be great. As always, we might have a guest. We might not. This episode will be released when Monday or Thursday, guys. Sometime in the next 72 hours. Okay. That's, that's good. I like it. As my editor just said, sometime in the next 72 hours, this episode will be released. I am Amber Vickers. We had Brittany. We had Janelle. We had Tara. And we really appreciate you guys for tuning in and you guys have a good night.